0: Avram took his hand, he took the knife, to slaughter his son. This is the Akedas Yitzhak. And at that moment, Avram Avinu is standing over his son with the knife, and he's ready to end his son's life, kill his son, because Hashem commanded him to. But the language Ma'acheles is an interesting expression. And the Daza Canem explains what does it mean, Ma'acheles, the feeder, she is called Yisrael Ochlim's The entire Jewish nation eats from the merit of this act in this world. This one act, one human being, one act, echoes throughout the ages, Akedas Yitzhak. And it's very difficult to imagine a single activity that any human being would engage in that people would talk about 50 years later, 100 years later, 500 years later, one act. That an entire nation, thousands of years later, benefits from. Whenever we're in trouble on Rosh Hashanah, whenever in trouble as a nation, we daven to Hashem in the merit of Akkadis Yitzhak. And this act seems to be one of the greatest acts the human being ever engaged in. It is the ultimate mitzvah. But if you think about it, it really doesn't sound that great, because what Avram Avina was asked to do was something that doesn't really sound so weighty, so Important and as a matter of fact, really doesn't sound that holy. You'll excuse me for saying it this way, but uh, two Palestinian grandmas are exchanging pictures of their grandchildren, and one looks at a picture and says, Oi, they blow up so young today. Meaning, within certain cultures of certain people, sacrificing your children is something they're proud to do, something they're happy to do, but that's not the Torah. Nowhere do we see such a concept. As a matter of fact, Avraham Avinu's life was spent preaching against this. Molech was an Avodah of the time, where you sacrifice your young to some Avodah But that was not what Avraham Avinu was being taught from Hashem. Why in the world is this act so great? Number one, it seems to be wrong. Number two, what's so great about any act? And I'd like to spend a little bit of time seeing if we can understand this act this one single action, and then see if we could learn what a Nisoyen actually is. And to begin with, let's sort of pay attention to the storyline. Avram Avinu at the tender age of three recognizes his creator, and from that moment on has a mission. His mission in life is to teach the world. He's Avram ivri He stands on one side of the river, everyone else on the other side. He was teaching the world monotheism. He was teaching the world that Hashem is the creator and one who runs the world. And he was opposed on every front. He was not exactly welcomed, and he was not exactly exalted. He fought bitter, bitter battles, and for decades and decades and decades he taught, and he had successes, he had failures, but he kept growing and growing, and the word kept spreading, and he had a tremendous, tremendous impact on the world. But this was his mission in life, to teach the world about Hashem, and to teach the world that Hashem is the creator and one who runs the world. Avraham Avinu also understood that part of his mission was to continue this legacy. He would die at a certain point, and he understood that he was to be the father of a nation, to be the father of Jewish people, and obviously having children was a big part of that. But it had to be the right son. It had to be the perfect son, and brought up in the perfect home, brought up with the ideals of Avram Avinu, and this son would be the one to carry the message. However, that son didn't happen. Avram Avinu married Sarah, and year after year after year, they davened, they prayed, they prayed, they davened, fasted, and did everything in their power, but it did not succeed. They didn't have children. And it got to a certain point where Avram Avinu recognized that it wasn't going to work. And Hashem, at a certain point, in the Nechomish says, "Altiro Avram, Avram, don't be afraid. Schar Chahar Your reward in the world to come is tremendous. Avram Vino just waged war against four Melochim to save Lot, risked his life, and literally did a Kiddush Hashem of unimaginable proportions, but he was afraid he used up Hashem says, No, you have plenty of reward waiting. Says Avram to Hashem, Matit Tainli, what are you going to give me? Oh, M'Habla is great, that's wonderful. I'm childless. I don't have children. I can't continue the legacy. I can't continue the Vod of Hashem. And Avram Vino had everything. Fame, honor, wealth. Certainly he knew that Hashem loved him and appreciated him. But he didn't have this child. And he couldn't bring and continue this work. And after 51 years of marriage, Avram Vino was 25, Sarimena was 15, and at 86, after 51 years, he realized it's not going to work. He's not going to have this child. So he has this idea, take Hagar, maybe the Bona And in fact, he takes Hagar and has a child. But this was not the child to continue the legacy. This was not the Talmud that Avram Avinu was going to bring into the world. And Avram Avinu continued waiting and continued getting older, and it became far more difficult. Finally, at 99 years of age, Hashem appears to Avram, and Hashem says, at this point, Ani kel shakai, lo shimcha Avram. You will not be called Avram anymore, you will be called Avraham, Ki av you're going to be the father of many, many nations. And with those words, Hashem promised Avram he'll be the father of the Jewish nation. He gave him the mitzvah of Bresmila, and in fact, Avraham Avinu performed a bris at that age. Three days later, he's sitting in the chom, he's sitting in the heat of a tent, <coughs> waiting for Archim, and he raises his eyes, and on the horizon, he sees three wayfarers, and these were the malachim who are coming to give him the message. Shuv <speaking in Hebrew> ashovelecha, one of the malachim says, we're going to come back. Next year, at this time, Sarah will have a child. Now it's interesting to note what Sari Emenu's reaction was. But Tishak Sara Sarah laughed inside, she laughed. Why did she laugh? Because what this Malach was promising Avram was so outrageous, the Sfurnah says it was a nace equivalent to Tchiyah Samesim. If you take a dead body and bring it back to life, could Hashem do it? Of course, Hashem could do anything. But Hashem runs the world with Derech Hatev. Hashem doesn't run the world with overt miracles because it skews free will, takes away Bechira what this Malach was saying was that Sarimeinu, who originally was barren, originally couldn't have children, now at the age of 99, was <clears throat> going to have a child. It was so outrageous. It was the equivalent of taking a dead body, making it alive. Sarimeinu did not believe that would happen. In fact, <clears throat> that's what happened. Hashem poka to kasher Amar. Now it's very hard to imagine what they, Avram and Sarah, felt like when Sarah conceived. I spoke at a Binyan Olam Shabbaton. Now this is a wonderful organization for people who have trouble having children. And we have a couple who for three, four years can't have a child and she conceives. It's a, it's a simch, it's a it's a celebration. But when you meet a couple who for 20 years couldn't have a child, for 20 years they built a life, but they built a life without. They built a life of emptiness. Everyone has families, everyone has kids, playdates and school and they don't. And in one moment they find the news she's expecting. The joy, the celebration is incredible. I don't believe that that has any comparison to the joy that Avram Avinu and Sari Imenu felt at that moment when Sari Imenu conceived. They were married at that point for 74 years. 74 years, and this is the child that is to be the future of the Jewish nation. This is Avram Avinu's mission. It's Sari mission as much because she was to be the mother of this child. And in that one moment, they realized the greatest aspirations, the greatest joy was brought forth. The Simcha was incredible. And in fact, Yitzchak Li, whoever hears and says Sari will find joy in this, and in fact, when this child is born, after the child is weaned at the age of two, Avram makes a party, a mishta. But why didn't he make a mishta gudel? So you look in the Rishon they explain because the joy was so profound. Avram Avinu was an extremely wealthy individual. He was extremely well-known, extremely powerful. And everyone from everywhere came to this celebration because this was the ultimate joy, the ultimate Kiddush Hashem, because the miracle was clear. And Avram Avinu and Sara Aminu's joy was profound and unimaginable. And this child, Yitzhak, grew to be just the child that Avram and Sarah had imagined, just the child they always dreamt about. And I want to focus on a very important point here. When you see the father holding the newborn son, there's an attachment, there's a love, there's a devotion. The father at that moment would do anything for his child. But you look at the same father and child a few years later, and it's not quite the same. First of all, the natural paternal instinct sort of fades a bit, and then the child opens a mouth, and the father says, the son says, the father says, before you know it, by the time the boy is 15, it's a very different experience. But that was not Avram and Yitzhak. Avraham Avinu was the most other-centered, most giving, loving, kindly person, gave birth to a child who was the perfect tzaddik. The perfect tzaddik was completely receptive and more than just receptive, the complete, total, perfect Talmud. If there ever was a child devoted to his father, if there was ever a child who learned from his father, it was Yitzhak, and this was his rebbe, and this was his mentor, going in exactly the ways of his father, and that bond and connection didn't become weaker, it became more powerful and more powerful, and as the years passed they became more and more attached. If you'd like to know how profound, how strong the attachment was, let's look at one Pasuk in Chai Surah. And when Surah Imenu dies, Vatamasura Abra Sir dies, Vayavo Avram Avram comes to say a husband. What do you mean Avram came to say a husband? Where was he? He wasn't with his wife? So Rashi explained, no, he wasn't with his wife. Why? Because he had been at the Akedah. He had just brought his son up for an Ola. And the reason why the Pasuk tells us is the reason why this Pasuk is right after the Akedah is to teach us a great Yasod. Explains Rashi that the Sutton came to Sara Imenu. And the sultan said, You know, your husband took Yitsuk, yeah? Brought him up uh, to the base of Achirah, you know, the place where Hashem going to build the base of Migdash, you know, Yushlaim, yeah? yeah. And he built him his beach, he built an altar, yeah. And he tied him up, yeah. And he took a knife, and Yitzhak's under knife. Sari felt such pain when she saw that knife. She saw through Yitzhak's eyes. She saw that tremendous agony he must be under. Parcha Neshmasa, neshama nishma, left her. She died. The agony, the pain, seeing her son in that moment was so profound. Paracha she left this earth. The attachment that Surah Emenu had to her son Yitzhak, the bond was so powerful that the news that he was suffering so was too much. And that was the attachment that Avram had to his son. And this is the son that Avram Avinu is asked to sacrifice. Yitzhak is 37 years of age, a fully mature tzaddik, exactly going in the derech of his father, and the bond of love and attachment is profound. And then Hashem says, (laughs) Achar Advarim Eilevelu Kim Nisas Avram. Hashem tested Avram. Avram said, I'm ready. And let's pay attention to the storyline as it unfolds. V'yomer, Hashem says to Avram, Kachnas bin chashichid chashar hafta. Take your son, your only son, the one you love, Yitzchak." sham Bring him up as an Ola. Now please note, Hashem didn't say kill him. Hashem said bring him up as an Ola. The Rishon explained, Hashem obviously meant he didn't want him to kill him, but Hashem said it in a way that it would be a test. But let's pay careful attention to the sequence of what Hashem says. See, Hashem says the words, Kachna bincha Take your son, your only son, the one you love, Yitzhak. Four expressions. Barashi brings down the Medrash that it wasn't actually four expressions. It was a discussion back and forth. Hashem says to Avram, Avram take your son. Avram says, which son? I have two. Yechidcha, your only son. Says Avram, I have two Yechidim. This one's a Yechid to his mother. Yishmal is a Yechid, is an only one to his mother. Asher the one you loved. Says Avram, the one I loved. I love both of them. Hayesh is there an end to infinity, the Medjah Tzachimah says further? It's Yitzhak. Hashem says Yitzhak. But I want to explain to you what this Rashi is sharing with us. You see, Avraham Avinu had two children. One was named Yitzhak and the other one was named Yishmol. <clears throat> when Yitzhak was two years of age, at that point, and he was ready to be M'chunach, ready to be taught, when Avram made that party, but <laughs> sorry, Imenu saw Yeshua Masachek. What does Masachik mean? Serving Avodah Zorah. He's 15 at the time, and he's serving Avodah Zorah, and Sarah comes to Avram and says, Kick this Amma out. Get her out of here. This boy can't be with Yitzhak. He's going to ruin. Yeshua was the first off the derech kid. He's serving Avodah Zorah in Avram Avinu's house, the son of Avram, and he's serving Avodah Zarah, and <clears throat> Hashem says to Avram, Kola Shatitomach. T- Surah Tishma Bakala, whatever she says, listen to. She's right. Yeshmal was not a Tzadzkala. He was not a Tzaddik. He was a Russia living in this Tzaddik's house, serving of Arazara, and Avram Ivinu had to kick him out at the age of 15, send him out, away, done, no more. Because there was no hope. So here's the question You're dealing with two children, one Yitzhak, the protege, the ultimate, and the other Yeshmal, the Russia. Hashem says, Your son. Which son? I have two sons. Your, your only son. Each one's an only one, to the one. The one you love. I love them both infinitely. Is Avram Avinu playing games with Hashem? And he answers: Avram Avinu was not playing games with Hashem. Those feelings were real. You see, what Avram Avinu had was the love of a father for a child, unmitigated, unchanged by his own aspirations. You see, the ultimate parenting is looking at the child and asking myself one thing. What's best for this child? This is a diamond. How can I make it shine? How can I polish it? How can I bring out the potential of the child? Not making the child in my image, not shaping the child to fit the form and fashion of what I want it to be, but taking a child and asking myself what's best for the child. Avraham Avinu had an unbridled love, and even though Yishimol did not give him much pleasure, and Yitzhak sure did, the love that he felt for both was incredible. And he couldn't distinguish the two loves. When Hashem said, the one you love, I love both of them. One when the, when you really love. Them. There's no end to infinity. Because he loved Yishmael apparently as much as he did Yitzlak. And if you want to see a tzaddik, that's, that's the ultimate tzaddik. But whatever the case, the point is that Hashem told him, take Bincha, Yechidcha, take this one, and bring him up for an olah. Bring him up for a Korban. And in that one moment... Avram Avinu understood that all of his dreams, all of his aspirations were dashed. This child that he waited for 75 years, and this child that he dreamt about, this child who grew and became, and really was the progenitor of the Jewish nation, was the next one in line, and really was going exactly in the ways and with that tremendous bond of love that Avram Avinu had for him. In one moment, Avram Avinu was told, it's over, done with, no more Yitzhak. And you'd imagine that Avram Avinu was broken. Imagine that. Okay, Hashem told me to do it, but with a bitterness, with a heaviness in his heart, he probably set out. But the interesting point is that the next pasuk says, Avram ba'boke." Avram got up early in the morning. In fact, we learn the Gemara learning Allah from that. Zriusimakdim a Zori is one who does the mitzvahs right. Does it? Bezrius. He went to sleep and slept solidly. And he got up in the morning early, let's go, I got a mitzvah to do. And he got up with energy. He saddled his donkey. And Rashi is bothered by the problem. Avram Ivinu was a very wealthy man. Many servants, many slaves. It's inappropriate. It's not proper for a man of his stature to saddle his own donkey. Why did he do it? explains Rashi, because Ahava Mekokeles is Ashura, loved love blinds the opportunity to do this mitzvah, oh my goodness, and bring Yitzhak, let's go, wow, he gets up early in the morning, <clears throat> Let's. Go. I, he does things that are out of the norm, he shouldn't do it, but I can't, I, I have to do it all, I have to do a part of it, with such zrizas, <clears throat> with such energy, with such love, he takes the two servants with him, that's Yitzhak Beno, and he splits the wood of Ola, now, the Ramban's bothered by a very interesting question. Avram Avinu is going on a three-day journey. He's not in your slime. It's a long journey to your slime. He splits wood and takes wood with him. Why is he taking wood? You get to your slime, cut wood there. You got to make a fire, I get it. Make, get the wood there. Explains the Ramban he had a fear. Maybe I'll get there. Maybe there won't be good wood. Maybe the wood will have worms in it. Maybe it won't be proper for carbon. He made sure that every detail was ready, Everything, This great opportunity to bring this carbon, this ola, let's go. With Zus energy, with joy in his heart, he set out on the way. And the next Pasak tells us by Hashlishi. And the third day "Vayisa Avram Is enav, a three day journey is a lot of time to think. A three day journey is a lot of time to lament to miss your dear child, the one who you got so attached to, the one who you love, the one who you, all of your dreams and all of your aspirations are <coughs> tied up in. Vayisa Avram, Avram lifted his eyes, Vayaris, he sees the place from far away. Yom Avram, he says to the two people with him, Shuvalichem, Machamar, you sit with the donkeys. Vani vanar, Nelcha, I and Yisak alone, will go to that place, to the Haram Maria, to the mountain, where <clears throat> the base of Migdash is to be built, and <inaudible> will bow down, and will return to you. He didn't realize it, he was Mesnave, he said Nivua, because in his mind, he would return, but alone. And I don't know if he could <clears throat> even imagine, and I certainly can't, <clears throat> what it must have been like for him at that moment. He brings <clears throat> these two people, he brings and Eliezer <clears throat> with him, and he and his son are going to go off to the Haram Maria, and he alone is going to come back. Now here's a man who taught the entire world not to kill your kids. Molech was in Wadah where you killed your kids for some sort of idol worship. And he himself is going to do that very act, and the embarrassment, the incredible pressure that he must have been under not to do this, He's going to come back and be the laughing stock of the world, be the embarrassment of everyone. And more than that, how is he going to answer Sarah? How is he going to say to his dear wife, who waited decades and decades and finally had this child, and finally this child is here, and he kills him? It's very difficult to even imagine what he was thinking at that moment. But... I think we'll see that it's very different than you and I might have suspected. <laughs> Avram took the atzei <laughs> he placed them on Yitzchak, his son. <laughs> he took the fire and the knife. The two of them, Avram and Yitzchak, went together. And Rashi makes a very important observation on this point. Yitzhak didn't have a clue. Avram understood where they were going. Yitzhak didn't. In Yitzhak's mind, they were going to bring a korban. And I don't know if you can imagine what it's like to be a tzaddik with a total clarity of vision. Every action is weighed and measured. And every action is powerful. And these two individuals understood that they were the fathers of the Jewish nation. Their every act would be imprinted for generations Every action that they engaged in would cause ripple effects throughout history. And as a result, Yitzhak had a tremendous understanding and appreciation of the gravity of his every action. And here he's given this opportunity to finally bring a carbon to Hashem on the height where the base of is to be built, the highest, most holy place in existence, and he with his holy father are going to bring a carbon. The joy was unparalleled. The moment was a celebration, and he went with tremendous simch, with joy in his heart. Barashi points out when the Pusik says, shnei am and they both went together, we know they went together. Why is it to repeat us? To teach us a very important lesson. The same joy that Yitzhak felt going to bring this Ola, Avram Avinu felt. Yitzhak didn't understand who the Ola would be, Avram did the same joy that Yitzhak had, wow, a chance to serve Hashem, the ultimate carbon. <coughs> Avram Avinu felt that same joy, Vayelchushnei Hem Yachtov. And then the next Pesach tells us, Vayomer Yitzak El Avram, Yitzhak says to Avram, Aviv, Vayomer, Aviv, Vayomer, Hineni Vayomer, Yitzhak says, I see the fire, I see the woods. Vayeyah where is the se?" Where is the sheep? We're supposed to bring an animal as a korban. Where is the sheep? Avram says to his son, And Rashi explains what that means is, Avram said to Yitzhak, You are the korban." I have a friend who's a cardiologist. And he tells me that when he has to give the news to a patient... And not always is the news so good, but sometimes the news is very, very bad. But when the news is very bad, he has to prepare, and he has to say everything very guardedly, very carefully, because when you tell someone that they only have a short window of life left, it's a very, very shocking moment. In one moment, Yitzhak found out that his life was to end. Not in six months, not in six years, but in but a few minutes. He was the carbon. It's over. And what does the pasuk then say? They both went together. Now I know they went together. We told, heard that just a minute ago they went together. Rashi says, no, that's exactly what the Torah is teaching us. Do you remember the joy that Avram Avinu felt in his heart, despite the fact that it was his son? He had the same joy as Yitzhak, who innocently thought they were bringing a, a sheep. The same joy that Avram had, Yitzhak now shared with him. Yitzhak, knowing he's giving up his life, Yitzhak, knowing that this is the end, felt such a joy. Wow, I get to show Hashem how much I love him. I get to make the ultimate sacrifice. In a moment he found out that 37 was the end of his life and he had joy in his heart because that was who he was. And they both go together. They get to the place where Hashem said, Avram built the Mizbeach. And <clears> just <throat> tells us, he told Yitzhak, stand away. He was afraid that the sun would throw a rock, make something fall, make a mum in the korban. He wanted to make sure there was no chance. If I was a great, a mum can't bring him, can't kill him. Avram made sure nothing happened. <inaudible> Avram arranged the wood. <inaudible> he did the eitzim, and he put him on top of the wood, on top of the Mizbeach. Now, the word akedas Yitzhak is an interesting expression. Akeda means to tie up. And that's exactly what Avraham Avinu did. He tied up Yitzhak. Hands behind his back, legs behind his back, tied him up as you do an uh, animal before you shechted. He tied him up because he was about to shecht him. But what's interesting to note is why he tied him up. So the Medrash tells us that it was Yitzhak's idea. And Yitzhak said, Abba Osrani, please Tati, tie up my arms and legs. Why? I know they're going to bring the knife down and maybe I'll twitch, maybe I'll move, I'll, I'll passle the carbon. Please tie my arms, tie my legs, please don't let me apostle the carbon. The Mesira, the giving over is incredible. By Yishlach Avram is yado Avram at this moment, his precious son, 37 years of age, is there. Avram takes the macheles, takes the knife, Lishchot et Beno, to shecht his son. And the Medrash tells us something fascinating at that moment. He held that knife, and as he held the knife, tears fell from his eyes onto Yitzhak. Copious tears, crying, crying. The Rachmanus of a father, the love, this is Avram Avinu, the most loving, giving, kindly person you can imagine. And his dear son, the Rachmanus of a father to his son, his son is going to be killed, his son is going to die. The, the tears were flowing. The Afal Pichein, nevertheless, Halev sameach, the heart was joy-filled, to do the will of Hashem. And my Rebbe, the would often speak about this. The two emotions co-dwelling within the heart of a human, seemingly opposite. Tremendous agony, pain, sorrow, my dear son, and at the same time, tremendous joy. And the two played against one another. Because the more Avram looked at his son and said, "Oh, my precious son, what you're going to go through now, the more he loved him. And the more he loved him, the more he realized, look what I get to show Hashem, I'm going to make the ultimate sacrifice. And the more he said, I get to make the ultimate sacrifice, the more he realized how precious Yitzhak was. Well, the more he loved Yitzhak, the more he wanted to give the sacrifice. And these two emotions, a tremendous sadness mixed at the same time, with the tremendous joy kept building and building until the crescendo, until he's ready to do this act. A Malach calls out Avram, Avram. Twice he calls Avram. Why twice? Avram, he should listen. The Kaleiak explains the first time Avram didn't listen. You know why? He was so engrossed in the moment. He didn't hear him. The Malach called. A Malach doesn't Avram. A Malach with a powerful voice cries out, Avram. And Avram didn't hear him. He was so engrossed in this moment. Avram, second time. <speaking in Hebrew> yeah, what, what? Don't put your hand to the nar. Don't do any wound to him. Now, if you pay careful attention, what do you mean? Don't check them. What do you mean don't put your hand? Explains to Medrash that before the Malach got a chance to say anything, the Malachim crying in the Shamayim, we live in a very physical world, but the upper world is directly impacted by what we do, and the Malachim were gathered round, and the emotions that Avram Avinu were feeling at the moment were ricocheting off the upper world, and the malachim were crying in tears, tears fell from the malachim and destroyed the knife. There was no knife. Avram said says, I'll, then I'll, I'll have to choke him, at least something, I gotta bring the carbon, do something. The malachim says, no, no, don't do that, don't, I'll make a wound, no, no, don't, don't even touch him. I have to do something, I'm, I'm bringing the carbon. Ata now I know that you are a Yari Elochim, Lochasachtes bincha shechitcha mimeni. Hashem says, I know you're a Yari Elokim because you didn't hold back your son, you're only one mimeni. And with those words, Vayisa Avram as Avram lifted his eyes, Vayar, he sees the aisle, he sees this ram, Nechaz besvach, caught in the bushes, Bekanov. vayelach Avram, Avram went, Vayikach the aisle, he brought him as an ola in place of his son, explains the Sforno, because he said he would do it, he had to do it. I have to bring the carbon. And he brought that seh. And that is one of the greatest acts the human being ever engaged in. And this is a the storyline of the Akedah. And I believe that if we carefully pay attention, to what actually happened, I think we'll see it's very, very relevant to us. And while it's a tremendous story of a human being's perfection, and a human being's dedication to Hashem, I think there are many, many more lessons for us to learn from it, and how it directly applies to our life. And let me begin with one simple observation. Do you ever notice that just when things are getting settled, just when everything seems to be going right, boom, something out of left field happens, and you're thrown into a whole new set of circumstances, a whole new set of conditions. And it seems to happen time after time. After, just when things are going right, something else goes wrong from some other that you can never imagine, never envision. And, and it almost seems like it's planned. It almost seems like it's worked out that way. Well, I'd like to share with you it is, not by accident, not just by happenstance. It's what we call nishyonos, and in Mishul when defying the human condition, says Nimsenu This is what we learn: Adam. The main purpose of a human being in this world is La to fulfill Lavo to serve Hashem, to withstand nishyonos. And nishonos are a part of our life, whether we like it or not. And I'd like to share with you that most often we misunderstand nishyonos. How many times have you heard someone say, Oh my God, do I need this? I don't need this. Can you imagine how much better I would learn if I didn't have this problem? If I didn't have this issue? If I didn't have this worry, this diagre, this trouble? This, I'd be able to accomplish so much more. I'd be able to serve Hashem. Who needs this? Why does Hashem do this? And by the way, if you're not sure I'm right, ask men today how much sweeter, easier, nicer life would be if there wasn't so much taiva in the world. There wasn't so much, such out of control behavior everywhere you go that pulls you in. Who needs it? It doesn't help me. I'm not serving Hashem better because of it. I believe life will be much better. And if you look around, you see that it's there. For one person it's taiva, for another person it's jealousy, for another person it's a temper, but everyone gets nisionos. And I'd like to share with you the why behind it. And to do that, let's focus on a very important question. What would have happened had Avram Avinu failed? What would have been? Hashem says, And Avram says, No, I'm not doing it. Count me out. I'm not doing it. Hashem told him and he said no. What would have happened? So the Ran explains that had Avram Avinu had said no, nothing would have happened. No punishment. Hashem promised him, Yitzhak is to be the father of the Jewish nation. <clears throat> now Hashem says to Shechem, oh, it's a contradiction. And if, if Avram said, No, I'm not doing it, there would have been no complaint, no punishment, nothing that he did wrong. But he would have failed in a sayon. You see, what Masil Sharm is teaching us is there are three parts to our greatness, three parts to growth. Hashem took me from under the covered. Put me into a body and gave me a mission to grow to accomplish. But there are three pillars, mitzvahs. Mitzvahs are the general activities that we have to engage in because they help me. They make me grow. avodah Hashem is everything else, davening, learning, chesed, everything that fits in directly and indirectly in a category of mitzvahs. So what's in the You already have all the mitzvahs. You already have avodah Hashem. So what's what are the in the shonos? The answer in the are a whole different category. And if you'd like to understand it, I'll give you a very simple example. The average Olympic athlete will practice at least six years intensively before an Olympic competition. That means when they're into their sport, after they're really into their sport, and after they really know it well, they'll then spend six years of intensive practice, minimally, before an Olympic competition. That means four hours a day, 310 days a year, and day in and day out. And then they get one shot. And whether their sport is running, whether it's a shot put, whether it's a team sport, everything that they spent, the six years or ten years of training, comes to that one moment. You see, the hundred-yard dash doesn't last ten seconds. And if he pushes, and if he makes it, he's the gold medalist. And if not, he blew it. And it's nothing. Nothing to show. The six years of work, the intense amount of effort, the incredible amount, nothing to show for it. That's what an assignment is. You see, an assign is not a moment. An assign is six months of work that you then get a chance to actualize. After working and working and working, now you're ready. Now you're ready for the Olympic trial. If you win, you succeed forever. For eternity, it's a, diamond in your crown, and if you blow it, you blew it. But you understand what I'm saying? If you blow in a sayon, it's not that you failed that moment, you wasted six months of work, or maybe six years of work. And whatever your issue is, for one person it might be anger management, for another person it might be being patient, another person may be desire, another person might be learning or davening, whatever your sayon is... The Nasayan is that one opportunity to take all of that hard work and put it into something for, forever. What Avraham Avinu was given was the opportunity. He spent decades, he spent his lifetime perfecting himself, growing closer and closer, seeing Hashem, and in one moment he was given the opportunity to lock it in. The Ramban explains for him it wasn't even a growth opportunity. If a person lived through the concentration camps and they remain from, it's an assign that shapes him into a totally different, unique human being. But it's the experience that shaped him, that molds him. The being from despite, keeping Shabbos despite, <clears throat> makes him into a totally different level of a mammon. But the Ramban explains that that wasn't Avraham Avinu. Avinu. was there, he didn't need the going through the Akedah, he was there, but the Akedah was an opportunity to lock it in, to put it into something that for eternity would shine, for eternity would serve the Jewish nation, for eternity would serve Him. And the us really come in two different forms. Most of the time, they're an opportunity to put all of that work into one challenge that really puts it forward, that really propels you to a higher level. Sometimes they come as just opportunities where you put it all at work and you get a chance to lock it in. But whatever the case, it's one moment that becomes yours forever if you win. And if you lose, you lost it. But when you lose it, it's not just that moment. It could be months, it could be years worth of work. When the Mesut HaSharm is teaching us, there are three pillars of growth. Mitzvahs, you've got to do mitzvahs, because that shapes you, molds you. Avodah Hashem, that's dominating that's learning, that's bitachon, that's everything else. But in addition to that, there's a whole other part, and that's called being omed nishonos. Hashem arranges, Hashem carefully orchestrates, very carefully designs, events, and situations for you. And that is your opportunity to lock in forever, to take months of work, maybe years of work, and lock it into one act to shine for eternity. Or not. And because Nishonos are such a part of life, I would like to share with you what I call the three rules for winning Nishonos. And if we carefully look at the Akediz Yitzhak, I think we'll see them. And let's begin with the following. Of all things, why did Hashem ask Avram to kill his son? I mean, there are a lot of ways to test a man, and a lot of ways <clears throat> to tell him to do things, but why did he ask him to kill his son? First of all, it really isn't nice. Hashem is the most loving, kindly. If you could take <clears throat> any love we ever felt and multiply 10,000, 10,000 times, Hashem feels more love than anything that we could ever imagine. Explains the us. that's the love that Hashem has for any creation. Why would Hashem torture Avram Avinu that way. Why would Hashem ask Avram to do something so unnatural, so improper? It doesn't make much sense. And I'd like to share with you the first rule of Nishonas. The first rule of Nishonos are a Nishon, a test, is based on you. Not me, not the other person, but it's based on you. Who you are, what your strengths are, what your weaknesses are, Hashem carefully handcrafts, hand designs the perfect test for you. Avram Avinu was the pillar of chesed. What Avram Avinu spent his life doing was being other-centered. He perceived Hashem as the Matev, as the giver, and he spent his whole life being like Hashem, doing and giving. The reason why his tent was open on all four sides was because of being like Hashem, giving. All of his kiruv, all the thousands of geruvim that he made, he didn't make them because, oh, I want to be a, a macher, I want to be a kiruv center. He didn't even do it necessarily as much for Hashem, as much as, I want to help people. I want to do... It's what Hashem wants me to do. Hashem wants me to give. It's the best thing for this person. This person will gain Olam Haba. There was a giving, loving kindness to the man. And the others were the ones who implanted into the genetic transmission these midos. Misha Eino marachem. If you find a person who doesn't have mercy, you find a person who's cruel, says the Gemara, eno Mizerah shall Avram He's not from Avram Avinu's children. Avram Avinu was so merciful, so kindly, and he put that into the genetic transmission, he put it into the genes of a Jew. And Avram Avinu spent years and years, decades and decades training himself. Now, I want to share with you something. Sefer Chinuch explains that you can change your inner nature. If you're very cruel, you can make yourself kindly. Very kindly, you can make yourself cruel. And some people have done that. If you want to change your inner nature... You can very, very well do that. You have to start off small. Let's say you're a pretty nice guy. You start pulling off wings of flies. Maybe you graduate to torturing cats. Then maybe you can start mutilating birds. Uh, You get to a point where you can be pretty cruel. Now, the Nazis had a problem because that was their goal. But there's a certain limit to how cruel a human being could be. And the problem was that the Nazis were now trying to create an army that would take babies and crush their skulls. They would stab pregnant women. But to take a human being and make them that cruel is not so simple. So after all of the various tricks, there was one part to the training. The Gestapo had one final part to train their elite athletes. You see, when you began the Gestapo training, you were given a puppy. And this puppy and you, the Gestapo agent, grew together. And as the puppy grew, you took care of it, and the puppy and you got attached. And everything you did, you did together with the puppy, and the puppy grew and grew and grew. And finally, the puppy was a grown dog, and then you were given the ultimate pechina, the test. To, with your hands, choke your dog and kill it. And the only ones who could make it to the elite annals of the Nazis were the ones who could pass that test of loyalty. Now, again, it's not easy to train yourself to be really cruel. But that's the exact opposite of what Avram Bino spent his life doing. He trained himself in being careful and guarded and being so kindly. And that's all he spent his time doing. This was for him the ultimate test. Why? Because he wasn't asked to give his son over to some surgeon who's going to operate. He was asked be dying with his own hands to shecht his son. It was a while back and there was a mouse in the dorm. And the mouse got caught, but the problem was the mouse was being tortured with the writhing and pain. So they, they, someone decided that I'd be the the right person to to kill it. You have to kill it. Poor mouse is suffering, and it's clearly can't release it into the wild because it's already injured. It's going to die. So the only thing to do is you have to step on the mouse's head and crush it. So I said, okay, fine. Listen, it's a mitzvah. I'll do it. And I walked over to the mouse and I picked my foot up, and I um. Picked my foot up, and I picked my foot up, and I said, "This I I can't, uh, uh, I can't do it. I can't." But it's the poor mouse in torture. It's really, it's in pain. I have to. I can't. I I look. I turned away. I looked the other way. Closed my eyes and stepped. And the scrunch of the the skull uh, sent shivers up my spine. Avram Avina was not asked to crush the head of a mouse. He was asked to take a knife and shecht his son. The Nesayan was perfectly suited for his nature. The most kindly, giving, sensitive human being asked to do the most, excuse my expression, abominable, torturous act imaginable. And that's the first rule of a Nasayan. The first rule of a Nesayan is it's going to be a test for you. Because I have my nature, you have yours. I have my disposition, I have my... Interests and in things, and you of yours. And I believe that's also the first rule to winning any nisayan. If you want to be successful in life, you have to know your nature. Each of us have strengths, and each of us have weaknesses. For one person it might be jealousy, another person might be a need for revenge, another person it might be anger, another person might be desire. Each of us have strengths, and each of us have weaknesses, and you have to be bold enough and brave enough to look into that mirror and say, what are my issues? I can't admit to my problems. If I admit to my problems, I'll I'll damage my self-esteem. You won't damage your self-esteem. You'll be able to, for the first time in your life, actually work on yourself. You see, if I need to be perfect, because I can't admit to having flaws, well, guess what? I'll always remain imperfect. And the only way to grow is to recognize my strengths and also recognize my weaknesses and to be able to deal with them. And the only way to win this shionos is to recognize what are the areas that Hashem is going to test me in. And all you have to do is ask yourself, what is my nature? What's my weaknesses? And you'll know exactly what the test is going to be in. And that's the first rule for winning in a You have to know your nature. You have to know what area Hashem is going to test you in. But there's a second rule for winning the shonos, And to understand the second rule, I'll share with you an interesting observation. This act that I've described here, <clears> the <throat> Yitzhak, is the greatest act. Avram Avinu challenged with <clears throat> sacrificing his son, and he's willing to do it. Amazing. Avram Avinu, what a tzaddik. Here's a question. Uh, Avram Avinu was not the only participant in that act. There was also Yitzhak. And if I remember correctly, Yitzhak was very willing. The Simcha. He finds out he's the the same joy that Avram has, he has. And he gets to the bank and says, Tati, tie me up because I don't want to spoil the carbon. So I have a little question. I get that Avram, a tremendous, act. I get amazing, uh, Avram, Yitzhak's not given any credit? <laughs> Yitzhak did nothing? Why is it the, the Avram Avinu's act? What about Yitzhak, who's as willing as his father to give up his own life? What happened to that? And don't make light of the question because Evan Ezra, Evan Ezra asked it. But I believe Rashi explains to us the answer. You see, what was the first posuk? V'hi achar dvarim After these matters, nisasa. <clears throat> so after this happened, <clears throat> then Hashem tested Avram. What are these matters? After this happened, Hashem tested Avram. Says Rashi, achar <clears> dvarov <throat> shel Yishmoel. After the words of Yishmoel. Rashi explains that one day, <clears throat> Yishmoel was bragging to Yitzhak. Remember, Yishmoel was 13 years older than Yitzhak. And one day Yishmael is bragging to Yitzhak, and says, Yitzhak, you think you're an Ever Hashem? You think you are Hashem? I was 13 years of age and I willingly underwent a bris I allowed our father to do a bris on me. Hmm, you think you're somebody? I'm even better." Yitzhak immediately answered back, "You're bragging because you're one aver, one limb you give up. If Hashem would ask me, I'd give up my entire life." After these words, the Akedah could begin. And you look in the Akronim, explain what Rashi means, and they say that now the test of Avram could begin. You see, once Yitzhak gave his word, he wouldn't go back. Yitzhak said, if Hashem would ask me, I'd give up my whole life, that was it. And Yitzhak was now no longer Baal Bechira. Now Hashem could test Avram. You see, if Yitzhak didn't say that, Hashem couldn't test Avram. Why? Because Hashem would say, Avram, do it. Maybe Yitzhak would agree, maybe not. He couldn't do it against Yitzhak's will, so it couldn't be a test of Avram. But once Yitzhak said the words, if Hashem would ask me to give it my whole life, it's done, now we can test Avram. Why? Because Yitzhak committed. If you would like to understand what a word means to a tzaddik, let's just carefully listen to what Rashi is saying. Yitzhak said something in the heat of a moment, as a younger person. If you're bragging, because one I'd give my whole life. But once he said those words, it was no longer a nesayun. It was no longer even a test. And on one level, this is a tremendous lesson about emes, words that come out of your mouth you keep. But I believe there's an even bigger lesson to us. And that is understanding the second rule of a You see, any test that you're going to have in life, it's very rare that the test is some huge, powerful force that's driving desire and building pulling and and against you oh I give in and you do this terrible sin uh-uh every messisayan that you're going to be faced with is a much much more subtle messisayan you see the messian isn't whether you'll do something that's wrong the test is whether you'll take something that's wrong and make it right you see we human beings don't do things that are wrong we make them right and then we do them And if you want to understand any Nisayan, any test, the test isn't whether you'll do this act or not. The test is whether you'll make it right, whether you'll rationalize it. And once you rationalize it, of course you'll do it. But you see, we human beings don't do things that are wrong. Because things that are wrong are wrong and evil and bad. And I can't do that. And I wouldn't have free will. But to allow for free will, Hashem gave us this incredible ability to take things that are absolutely wrong, and well, listen, for me, under these circumstances, under these conditions, you have to understand, you have to recognize, you have to realize, and if you'd like to see that play out, let's pay careful attention. You see, Avram Avinu had a tremendous question. Hashem told him Yitzhak is to be the father of the Jewish nation, and then <clears throat> Hashem said, take Yitzhak, Alei Ola, Ola, bring him as an Ola, and in Avram's mind, that meant kill him. Now, if you want to know a contradiction, it doesn't get bigger than that. But here's the problem. The problem is, there are tremendous reasons why Avram should want to keep his child alive. Number one, this is the child that he loves. Number two, this is all of his aspirations. Number three, he's got to do it with his hands. And the Medjus explains that at a certain point, the sultan came to him. And his son came to him and said, Old man, Zakain, where are you going? Avram said, I'm going to Davin. Oh, really? Going to Davin? The sultan says, you, What's with the Ash uh, and the Machelis, the, the fire and the, and the sword? What's that about? Oh, well, you never know. We're going somewhere. We may have to eat. may have to, you know, whatever. Oh, really? Wasn't I there, says the son, when Hashem said to you to kill your son? Avivina says, could be. Don't you realize, the son says, that Hashem is going to have a tain against you tomorrow. He's going to call you a murderer. Saba, Ab, you lost your mind. Old man, you lost your mind. And the Medush Rabbah explains that time after time, from this moment on, the son came to Avram and said, what you heard was wrong. You couldn't have heard that. Hashem would never command you to do that. Hashem is merciful. Hashem is kindly. Hashem didn't command it. Avram Avinu said one thing, Amanas The son said, don't you realize the whole world is going to learn to kill Amanaskein. Even so, I'm going to do it. Hashem is going to be angry with you. Amanaskein. I'm going to do it. I don't care, I'm going to do it. Time after time, the son came with reasons and rationales. And my Rebbe Rushivizatal explained us that is the second rule in winning any Nisayan. You can't engage the Satan in conversation. You can't engage this is wrong and I don't do it, and that's it. And the minute you say, well, maybe I don't discuss it, but I have good answers. I have the best. The minute you answer your toast. Why? Because any answer has a counter answer, any answer has a counter answer to that. And this is the second rule of Nisyonos. An assign is never that you're tested to take something wrong and do it. An assign is always that you're tested to take something wrong and make it permitted. And that also shares with us the technique for winning Nishonus. When you're tested, all you have to do if you want to win the assign is you have to ask yourself one thing. Forget the consequences. Forget the results. What's the right thing to do? You see, the problem that we get into is, well, if this, then that, If the, and I create all kinds of philosophies, all kinds of the, and I create fanciful, imaginative stories that would not pass by a jury of my peers. But somehow, in some level in my mind, they're somehow acceptable. And if you ask yourself, just forget any consequences, forget the result. I want to know one thing. What's the right thing to do? Number one, you'll know what the right thing to do is. My Rebbe Dershowitz Itzal used to say, if you ever have a moral dilemma, if you ever have a question you don't know this way that way, obviously you ask Torah, you ask people older and wiser. But if you can't ask, you're in a situation where you have to make the call. You ask yourself one thing, forget the results, forget the consequences. What is the right thing to do? And internally you know why. If you have an Ashama, you have an Ashama that's pure, that's holy, that came from under the Kisei covered. You know exactly what the right thing to do is. The problem is I don't want to do that. Because if I do that, then and this and that. And that what is the right thing to do? And when you understand that every Nesayan, it's not this powerful super magnet that's pulling me, this electromagnet's pulling me against my will and I have to resist. Mm-mm. It's a powerful super electromagnet pulling me to make this activity permitted. That's pulling me to rationalize, pulling me to create stories and fanciful reasons. For me, and this condition, these circumstances, tomorrow I'll change, I'll be different. And if you ask yourself one question, is this right? You'll know the answer and then you'll have the ability to turn away. The first rule of nishonas are you'll be tested for you. And you have to know you. You have to know your strengths. You have to know your weaknesses. And you've got to be ready in that area because that's the area you're going to be tested in. And the second rule to know is that the Nisayan is only a test of not whether you're going to do it, but whether you're going to make it right. Once you make it right, no question you're going to do it. But I think there's one more rule of nishonas that might be even more important. And understand the third rule for winning the shonos. I want to ask you a very important question. After this entire event, after Avram Vinus stands over his son with the tears flowing down and the joy in his heart, and the machelis is eaten by the malachim's tears, and don't do the act. And then the malach says, "Atayadati. Now I know you've won. You've succeeded. You hit the pinnacle of success." Now I know Hashem told them all to tell him ki yore alokim ata, that you are one who fears Hashem. yore alokim Atta? <clears throat> one who's dedicated to Hashem, one who loves Hashem, one who listens to Hashem. What do you mean, yore alokim? Now you are Yare alokim? What does that mean? And if you look in M'sil Sharm, you'll see what yiras Hashem means, and certainly yiras Arambos is not fear. Not fearing Hashem, and not even fearing punishment. Yura alokim means that I cut through the haze of physicality. I cut through the layers and layers of the physical world, and I recognize one reality, Hashem is here. Hashem is right here. As I speak, as I think, Hashem is present. The Creator, the one who maintains, the one who orchestrates everything is present right here. But it's a cutting away of all of the darkness, cutting away of the haze and recognizing it. And if you spend years and years and years and years and years, you see Hashem you recognize Hashem, and then you're living in a vastly different world. Because then you recognize the key issue that we human beings never get. And that is that I am here for but a few short years. I'm not the body. I'm the guy inside. I, the one who speaks, the one who feels, I'm an Eshamah, temporarily housed in this body, with a mission, with a goal. And every action that I engage in here shapes me and molds me. But I'm here in this physical world on a short temporary stay and when you see Hashem and you recognize Hashem you clearly get it you recognize who you are, you recognize who Hashem is, you recognize everything that happens, what Avram Avinu did was he transcended physicality the only way he could do this act with such simcha, with such joy, was was get up early in the morning saddles his own donkey, the only way he could do it with such love blinds him was if he completely transcended the physical world by realizing that this world is a bluff. We live through scenes, and much like if you remember the old style video games, you'd fight one opponent, and if you won that opponent, a new opponent would come bigger and stronger. You won that opponent, the new opponent would come bigger and stronger. But it's all a mirage. It's all illusions. When you go to the movie. And it's big and it's on the screen and the hero comes out and the villain is fighting and they're fighting and they're kicking it. It's light. It's not real. That is life. It looks so scary in the moment. It looks so threatening. That person is... But when the lights come on, I see Hashem is there. Hashem is guiding everything. Hashem is involved in every activity. There's no danger. And the only thing that matters are my choices. What I do with that time. What I accomplish or don't accomplish. But transcending physicality, being way, way above this world, requires seeing Hashem, realizing Hashem, and more than anything, growing in ruchnis. What Avraham Avinu did at that moment was he transcended the physical world, completely, no longer blocked. You see, if I could ever see beyond my body, I would recognize things with such clarity. Within me is an Hashem that's brilliant, that's understanding. The body blocked me, the body stopped me. Avraham Avinu saw with such clarity and in that moment there were no Nishonis left or no tests. Of course it was B'Simcha. Why? Because he saw I'm a person who's living for eternity. This action shaped me molded me. For a little while I won't see my Yitzhakov. I'll see him in the world to come. We're here for a short while anyway. It didn't matter. And this is the third world third rule for winning any Nishayin. You have to be future facing. You see an Nishayin is an Nishayin in the moment. Clearly the solution to any Nisayin is to realize in Olam Haba I'm going to have a very different value system. And I'm going to view these things very differently. But even if I could just train myself to be future-facing beyond the here and now, this moment, most nishonas melt away. I'll explain to you what I mean. I got a call a little while back. A young Kolo guy had a problem. Living in a community, and he's married a couple of years, and he found on a regular basis. If he go to the grocery, he go to the store. There was another woman, a married woman, who he was attracted to, and he tried to avoid her, try not to, but he couldn't. It was a small community, and whenever she was there, and her image got into his brain, and he was thinking about it, and he wanted to avoid her like any. He didn't want it, but he couldn't stop the thoughts, couldn't stop seeing her. What does he do? What does he? He's plagued. Destruct, what does he do? He's a good guy, and he called me up for an eitzah. You have to recognize it's a pretty serious issue. A ish, just small community, and he doesn't want this problem. Because it was a serious issue, I gave him a serious solution. I told him, I have a solution, but you have to be ready for the solution. He said, I'm ready. I said, okay, fine, here's what you need to do. You need to get a picture of a cadaver, a dead body, but not a body that died recently. You have to get hold of a picture of a cadaver that's decaying where the flesh is rotting. And you have to stare at that picture and look at that picture and engrave it in your mind. And then every time you see this woman or any time an image of her comes up in your brain, you say, this is the end of that woman. She'll be in the ground with the worms eating her flesh. The beauty that she is is not going to be. Because you see, any Nesayan, any test is in the moment. But the moment passes I was at a wedding, and a fellow says, Rebbe, Rebbe, my, my wife, my wife, she can't have children. I said, it's terrible, I'm talking. Tell me how, I remember I hadn't been in his wedding for some reason, but I didn't remember how long, how long you married? About nine months. I said, oh, okay. So I said to him, I said, young man, listen to my words. I'm telling you, you're going to come to a point, not long from now, where I'm going to meet you, and I'm going to ask you, do you remember the pain that you're feeling at this moment? And I guarantee that when I ask you that question then, not only won't you remember the pain, you won't even be able to relate to it. Okay, now, I'm not a balmophis, believe me, in any sense. Happens to be that a little while later, I'm driving somewhere, and I see the same young man. I say, hey, Shalom Aleichem. I roll down the window, he comes over to the car, and I says, Rebbe, you won't believe it. I, whoa, what? I'm on my way, whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm on my way to my son's bris. I said, whoa, stop. Okay, one second, I said to him, okay, tell me. Do you remember the wedding? Do you remember your crying? Do you remember the pain? Do you remember the feeling that you felt then? Not exactly. Can you understand that? No. Can you relate to it? No. And I said to him, young man, I want you to listen very carefully to what I'm saying to you. <clears throat> this is a lesson for life. When you're in the thick and thin of it, oh my goodness, it's such a nassayan, such. But when you're past it, you look back and say, what, 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 what was my, what was I thinking? And this is the third rule to any Nisayan. Any Nisayin is based on the moment now. And if you could train yourself to be future-facing, the best future-facing, obviously the world to come. If you could feel and understand the tremendous value I'll have if I win or the tremendous embarrassment I have if I lose, that'll motivate you beyond anything. But if that's too distant, which most of the time it is, take something a lot closer to home. Take something a lot closer and realize that this is the moment, but this moment will pass. Gamzu Yavor. Right now, it's so scary, it's, but it will pass. And these are the three rules for winning any in And number one, you have to know it's going to be based on you. Your strength, your talent, your ability, because it's part of your growth. Hashem doesn't test you for, because Hashem's bored. board. It's the opportunity to spend months and years growing and growing and put it into one act that locks it in for eternity. Had Avraham Avinu failed, there'd be no punishment. But for eternity, there's something called a Kedus yitzak. For eternity, there's something that lasts forever. And that's what a Nesayin is, an opportunity to lock in for eternity. But number two, you have to recognize that any Nesayin, any test that we're faced with is a test up here. It's not a test to do or not to do. It's a test to rationalize or not rationalize. It's a test to buy into the lies of the sultan, to buy into the excuses. And, the, and all you have to do is face the truth. Ask yourself one question. Is it right or is it wrong? I can't. Is it right or wrong? But if, but if it's wrong, I, is it right or wrong? And you train yourself in EmS. Yitzhak was on a level where Emes, he said a word, it was no longer a Nisayan. It wasn't even a test. He said the words were done. But for anyone else, just saying it again and again. And the third rule of any Nisayan is that it's in the moment, in the thick and thin of things. And if you can train yourself to be future facing, how will I feel about this tomorrow morning? You ever notice that when we get angry, we say a lot of things that at the moment sounded very clever. That was a real smart thing for me to say to that person. But by the next day, I no longer feel that way. <clears throat> by the next day, I no longer think it was so clever that I opened my mouth the way I did. And <clears throat> if you train yourself to be future-facing, the Nusayin is now. But that's the point. This world is an illusion. This world is just a video game, stage after stage, scene after scene, and all of it is smoke and mirrors. It's just light, it's just illusions. We're so caught up in it because, oh my God, it's so real, It's a, because I'm in the body and the body darkens me and doesn't allow me to see. But if I could train my mind to say, how will I feel about this tomorrow morning? It's a very clever thing I'm about to do, but how will I feel about it two weeks from now, two months from now? And then you solve any messiah. I think these Chazals and Akedah Yitzhak teach us tremendous, tremendous lessons. An act that echoes through the ages. But keep in mind, it was not a very public act. How many people saw Akedah Yitzhak? You remember the storyline, Avram says to the Naorim, two people with him, you stay here, Vani vanar I and Yitzhak are going to go. Not in front of anybody. No one. Not a single human being sought. It was not in the Felt Forum. It was not in Madison Square Garden. It was not in front of hundreds of people. Absolutely, completely hidden from the human eye. The most powerful act that echoes through the ages was done in private. And that is a tremendous lesson. We're going to be faced with nacionos. Most of them are not out there in the public eye. But who I am is based on what I do, how I act, how I behave, how I work on myself, and most of the time it's within the privacy of my own dollar. Almost within the privacy of my own mind. An act that echoes through the ages. If you wonder what's so great about it, it's not the sacrificing of a child. It's a shleimah the total giving over. The absolute test of a man who's most kindly giving, loving, and to do something. This is all of his aspirations, <clears throat> all of his love. After <clears throat> so many years, he finally has this child. And he waited for this child, and this child is the wonder child of wonder children. And this child, he has to give up, and not just give up, to shecht, with his own hands to kill him. And he does it with such joy, with such zrizis, zrizis imakdimim, get up early in the morning, let's go. It's an act of proving that a human being can transcend the physical world, can see beyond the illusions, can see beyond the shadows, and recognize that I'm here for a few short years, Hashem is here, Every mitzvah Hashem gave me is my growth. Every Nisayan allows me to become greater. What He did was He transcended physicality, and that is the greatness of it. And when you read through the story and you read through what a Nisayan is, you recognize that that is our life. We will live with Nishonas, and not because Hashem is not too good at doing that which Hashem does. It's exactly the opposite. It's because Hashem is very, very, very good at doing what Hashem does. That is why we'll be tested and tested and tested again. Why? Because there are three pillars to our growth. Mitzvahs, Avotos Hashem, and Nishyonos. But understanding what an assign is. An assign is months, maybe years of growth, given the opportunity to now concretize it, put it into an act. <clears throat> maybe either grow, transcend, or just take something that I've grown and just put it into something. But it's one shot, like that Olympic athlete who could spend six years. But if he breaks his leg at the starting line, six years is a waste of time. If you fail in a sayon, the real loser is you. If you win in a Saiyan, the real victor is you. And understanding that every fight is going to be based on your nature. And understanding that the real fight is in your head, rationalizing or not rationalizing. Is it right or is it wrong? Because it's wrong, you're not going to do it. And then the final point, understanding that the sayon is in the moment. And those are the secrets to understanding life. Those are the secrets to understanding what an sayon is.